Hey y'all, welcome to Sermons from Centerpoint. My name is Chris, and I'm so glad you're joining with us today. This week, we're going off the beaten path a little bit. Normally, I try to stick to the lectionary, mostly because I'm a new pastor, and I really appreciate the discipline that it offers. But, with the events of January 6th at Capitol Hill, I felt led, strongly led, to go in a different direction for this week. With that said, this week's scripture is Isaiah chapter 30, verses 1 through 5, 9 through 13, and 18 through 22, as well as Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. Given the length of this week's sermon, I want to try and keep our introduction a bit shorter today. So with that said, I'll let the sermon speak for itself. God bless, stay safe, and be well. Sorry. Mm-hmm. It is now time for our reading of scripture. And uh oops. And Miss Susan will be reading from Isaiah. Isaiah thirty, verses one through five, nine through thirteen, eighteen through twenty-two. O rebellious children, says the Lord, who carry out a plan but not mine, who make an alliance but against my will adding sin to sin, who set out to go down to Egypt without asking for my counsel, to take refuge in the protection of Pharaoh and to seek shelter in the shadow of Egypt. Therefore, the protection of Pharaoh shall become your shame and the shelter in the shadow of Egypt your humiliation. For though his officials are at Zoan and his envoys reach Hanes, everyone comes to shame through a people that cannot profit them that brings neither health nor profit, but shame and disgrace. For they, Israel, are a rebellious people, faithless children, children who will not hear the instruction of the Lord, who say to the seers, do not see, and to the prophets, do not prophesy to us what is right, speak to us smooth things, prophesy illusions, leave the way, turn aside from the path, Let us hear no more about the Holy One of Israel. Therefore, thus says the Holy One of Israel, because you reject this word and put your trust in oppression and deceit and rely on them, therefore this iniquity shall become for you like a break in a high wall, bulging out and about to collapse, whose crash comes suddenly in an instant. Therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. Truly, O people in Zion, inhabitants of Jerusalem, you shall weep no more. He will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. When he hears it, he will answer you. Though the Lord may give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, Yet your teacher will not hide himself any more, but your eyes shall see your teacher. And when you turn to the right or when you turn to the left, your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, This is the way, walk in it. Then you will defile your silver-covered idols and your gold-plated images. You will scatter them like filthy rags. You will say to them, Away with you. The word of the Lord. 
Thanks be to God. And if you'd stand for our gospel reading, uh, Luke chapter twenty or chapter ten, verses twenty-five through thirty-seven. In your bulletins, I've omitted the first five verses because I wasn't able to fit everything in the bulletin this week. Just then, a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to them, what is written in the law? What do you read there? The Pharisee, the teacher, answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to them, you have given the right answer. Do this, and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, the teacher asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Oops. Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near to him. And when he saw him, he was moved with pity. The Samaritan went to him, that is, the broken man, and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. And then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these three, do you think, was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The teacher said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. The word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. The photo I chose, for those of you who can see it, I know those of you who are online cannot see it, my apologies, but the photo that I chose uh, for today is after the siege of Jerusalem. You can see the people being lined up, ready to go into exile into Babylon. This created a cultural scar on that of the Israelite people, one they would, that they would not soon forget. Much like the same scar that they had gotten from their time in Egypt as they continually reflected on it, and it continually became something that the whole people remembered. It was an identifier for them. Fellow Israelites knew the pain And hundreds of years later, they would still know that pain. They would still know it as this foundational event that happened in their history. Americans have a similar uh, cultural things that are embedded in who we are as a people. Everybody can look back to the Revolutionary War 
Or perhaps it's not just the Revolutionary War, but we also have these cultural scars as well. I mean, granted, they're not in Egypt, they're not in exile, but the Civil War, a scar that still remains on the psyche of all Americans, whether it is inherited or whether it is taught. I know for me, one of the first significant cultural scars that I can think of, that I remember, that, that almost every other American can connect to, was 9-11. Everybody looks back on that day, and when you mention those words and you close your eyes, you can think about all of the emotions that were going through your mind on that particular day. It's a scar, it's a pain that united us as a people, but nonetheless, nonetheless caused a significant amount of pain. I remember growing up how I was born in 1985, and I was born in October, um, and I remember throughout the 90s, when I, you know, first was able to start thinking for myself, how people referenced the Challenger explosion and how that, too, was a cultural scar, something that caused our people pain to think about, but at the same time united us. It's not just the Israelites, it's not just Americans. Every group, every people in this world has these moments. There are people in China who are still angry at Japan for the atrocities that were per perpetrated on them during World War II. There are people in Rwanda from the genocide that happened there. There are people in India who threw off the yoke of oppression who still remember. I had Middle Eastern friends uh, growing up, some of which were immigrants from the Middle East, and the Crusades, which happened hundreds, hundreds of years ago, still leave a scar. Because not all of the Crusades were just. Some of the Crusades were nothing but groups of thugs that went down into the Middle East and hurt people. And it was not justified. Likewise, in the United States, the sting of slavery still is upon the impression of many black Americans. A memory, something that they have held on to. In fact, there are still some people who are still alive who encountered violence as a result of the civil rights in the 60s. These things leave scars. We remember them as a people, as ethnic groups. Israel. During this time in Isaiah, let's talk about what is going on. 
Assyria, the big bad world power at that particular time, is banging on the doors of Israel. In fact, at this point in time, it's the northern kingdom and it is the southern kingdom. It is Judah. Now, for all of their issues, there is still a connection between these people. They're the people of Abraham. They're the people of Jacob. There's family there. So for a moment, put yourselves into the shoes of a Judean person during this time. When you find out that Samaria, that the northern kingdom has fallen, that your family is now under the yoke of the oppressive Assyrian regime. Can you imagine the fear, the anxiety? Because the truth of the matter is, is who do you share a border with? Samaria. There's no more buffer. In fact, Assyria is going to start knocking on the borders of Judah next. And they do. And so fear and anxiety grip the hearts of the people because they are scarred. They are hurt. And so they make a decision, a poor decision, but a decision that nonetheless affects them. They rely on an old enemy to keep them safe. Egypt, the Pharaoh. And we read it today in our scripture. We know what God had to think about this. Oh, rebellious children, says the Lord, who carry out a plan, but not mine, who make an alliance, but against my will, adding sin to sin, who set out to go to Egypt without asking for my counsel to take refuge in the protection of Pharaoh and to seek shelter in the shadow of Egypt. Every person in Israel knows of the cultural scar of who Egypt is. They know about how Pharaoh killed their children and threw them into the Nile. They know about how Pharaoh in Egypt eventually enslaved them and broke them that made them make bricks without straw. This is who Israel depends upon. Scripture continues. Therefore, the protection of Pharaoh shall become your shame. And the shelter and the shadow of Egypt, your humiliation. For those, his officials are at zone and it and his envoys reach Hanes. Everyone can come to shame through a people that cannot profit them, that brings neither help nor profit, but shame and disgrace. Israel knew who Egypt was. Israel knew 
who Pharaoh was. And they decided to place themselves under its protection anyway. And there were consequences. One of the things I keep learning about for Scripture is how relevant it is to today. Because I am just like these people. I am not better than them. I am not less sinful. I am as prone to anxiety and fear and cultural scars and all of these things as well as them. I am not so evolved or enlightened that I am less human. Because at the end of the day, we are all human. In the 50s, in the United States, another cultural scar took place when communism, or the said of communism, was said to start ramping up in America. And there was a, a, a congressman whose name was Joseph McCarthy who started these lies, who started this propaganda, who started bringing people into the house to judge them. And there were many people who didn't do what they were supposed to do. In fact, Eisenhower, who, by the way, is one of my favorite presidents, by the way, uh, even said in private chats that he did not like this guy because of what he was doing. And yet people still trusted the lies and still people trusted what was going on. Today, it happens in China. With the Uyghurs being painted as a threat. It happens in Russia, where people have rode the flames of hostility through the day to demonize a certain group of people. It happened in Rwanda. It happened in the early part of our country in the 1900s when the KKK jumped on this idea that all black people were savages and started pushing it and propagating it. And people willingly and willfully submitted to the yoke of their leadership and spiritual authority. It happened in Israel. Because at the turn of the century, 0 AD, when we know Jesus was born around, now there's a new relationship between Samaria and Jesus, or the Jews. It's not a familiar family thing anymore, but hatred. It's brokenness. In fact, when Herod was looking for, uh, to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem, the Jews went out and started inviting all of their people back to help give some type of an offering or something to help rebuild the temple alongside Herod. 
they specifically snubbed one group of people, the Samaritans. The Samaritans were hurt. And so what led was a tit-for-tat, them attacking, the, not, not, not attacking, but, but little things, little slights, going after one another until they were entirely a demonized people. And so what ends up happening in Samaria is they're like, these, these Jews who are not going to acknowledge us as family, as brothers and sisters, you know what? Uh, screw them. And so they end up going into Jerusalem with all of these pig carcasses, and they take them to the newly built temple in Jerusalem and throw them all over the place. They desecrate the temple because of this rising peak of hatred that doesn't end. So let's go to the story of the Good Samaritan. Because these cultural scars are very present upon the teachers of Israel. They know what has happened to the temple because of those Samaritans. Because those people who have did this thing, and the teachers aren't going to acknowledge their presence in it at all. They're not going to acknowledge their brokenness. They're not going to acknowledge their sin. They're just going to keep pointing to those Samaritans. Those, those dirty Samaritans. So Jesus flips the script. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho who fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed on the other side. This man's family, this man's brothers, this man's racial group passed by the side. They didn't do anything to lend a hand. They walked. But the story gets even more important. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him, and when he saw the Jewish man, he was moved with pity. We know the history between these two groups of people. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal and brought him to an inn to take care of him. The next day he took two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. And when I come back, I'll repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these three, Jesus' own words, do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? Teacher said, the one who showed him mercy. I want to be clear about this. The Samaritan doesn't explicitly say, I'm sorry, the teacher does not explicitly say the Samaritan. He says, the one who showed him mercy. Because let us remember the beginning of this scripture. The man asked this question to justify himself. 
he already arrived at his conclusion of who was his neighbor. Have you? Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. As the Israelites were in exile, one of the things that they were wondering what they should do is, what do we do? Do we subvert? Do we... Ah, they weren't certain. But, and when one of the scriptures, and it, I, I don't know the exact uh, chapter and verse, so my apologies. Um, one of these prophets uh, asks God, what are we supposed to do? And God responds with, by seeking the health and welfare of the city. Can you imagine for a moment knowing what the Babylonians and the Assyrians did to your family in Samaria? What they did to you having laid siege and killed your men and women who dragged off all of these people into a new land. And what does God tell those people who've been dragged off to do? To seek the health and welfare of the city. The scripture, my friends, is the same throughout the Old Testament to the New Testament. God's commands, what he calls us to be as a people, stay throughout the Old and the New Testament. So there is no justification in the gospel, none whatsoever, that men and women should be raising flags that say Jesus saves while storming the Capitol. That is of Satan. It is sin. It is not the gospel and it is heresy. There is nothing about it that is in line with who we are as a people. In Ireland, when St. Patrick was captured and enslaved and kidnapped, he went back to England, got religion, got his credentials, came back to Ireland. And do you want to know what he did? He changed the island. He changed it. Do you know how? not through violence. He set up little areas and towns and places where people could come in and be and be safe. You want to know what his requirement was? You're not allowed to bring your weapons in. He changed Ireland from the cult that it was, not through force of arms or violence, but through love and compassion. In the 60s, when black people were marching down the streets, it was Martin Luther's king, his dream of a better future, where black and white boys would be able to play together. It was through his nonviolence and, dare I say, even his martyrdom that process and progress was able to be made. 
because Christ is not present in violence. It is not of Scripture who God has called us to be as a people. Now, there might be some people out there who will proof text it, and they'll take one or two things, and they'll be like, see, here, here. But if you weigh that against the vast amount of Scripture, it is heresy. It is wrong, and it is evil, and it is a perversion of Scripture. The bishop's words, not mine. And mine. Let's be fair. I am angry. I am hurt. But what God has told us is that there will be a new day. And God has already shown us how to, how to help him be a part of bringing that new day through the Good Samaritan story. Let's go back here. Therefore, the Lord waits to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. And blessed are all those who wait for him. Truly, O people in Zion, inhabitants of Jerusalem, you shall weep no more. He will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. When he hears it, he will answer you. Though the Lord may give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet your teacher will not hide himself anymore, but your eyes shall see your teacher. And when you turn to the right or when you turn to the left, your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way. Walk in it. It is not super overt. It is not a yell. It is a cry. And when you turn to the right or when you turn to the left, your ears shall hear a word. This is the way. Walk in it. Then you will defile your silver-covered idols and your gold-plated images. You will scatter them like filthy rags and you will say to them, away with you. Because when God calls us to a new life, that means we have to leave behind our old idols. Y'all, Scripture is not political, but it has political ramifications. Final story. There is a man in the United States. He's a jazz musician. He's a black man. And I've told this story before, but I feel like it's fitting because we can yell about everything that's wrong with the world and we can be righteously angry and it can be true and it can be right. But the question next is, how do we move forward? How do we go from here? This man, this black man who is a gospel singer, active in his own church, uh, has befriended multiple uh, Ku Klux Klan members. In fact, he has a whole room in his household devoted to their old robes that they have surrendered to him as a sign of growth. This black man goes, I really wish I knew his name. I'm so sorry. 
he goes to these Ku Klux Klan, these white supremacists, and he sits with them, and he says to them, uh, he just starts talking, befriending. Inevitably, they say something like, we should hate you, or I should hate you. The black man, uh, his response has generally been, well, how can you hate me if you don't know me? He befriends them. He is a St. Patrick in his own town. There's another man. He is a former white supremacist. He has grown. And uh, in an article I read recently, he was talking about how a lot of people who are in these ways of hate, a lot of people who espouse these white supremacist values, how they don't have a place to go. Because what ends up happening is, is their sphere of influence for people who will accept them gets smaller and smaller and smaller because people don't want to have anything to do with them. And I'm going to be honest with you. I wouldn't want to have anything to do with them either. I would want to discard them. And that is my sin, which I confess. But this white supremacist man says that very similar to the black man, this former white supremacist says, um, he starts befriending these people. And it's through love and it's through mercy that their hearts are changed. Friends, there is a lot to be angry about. But that anger can only point us towards a direction. It cannot give us a solution. I'm certain the nights that I'm certain that there were probably plenty of nights that Martin Luther King Jr. was angry. I'm certain that there were probably plenty of nights where Abraham Lincoln was angry. I'm certain that there were probably plenty of nights in Rwanda where people were angry. I'm certain that there were probably plenty of nights in Ireland during the 80s when the IRA was at its peak that there were people who were angry. But that anger does not give us a solution. Let us listen to it. Let us listen to the voice of God, but let us ultimately do His will. And His will to seek the welfare of the city. To seek the welfare of our own Babylons and Assyrias in our midst. To do kindness, to show love, to act of mercy. I named this sermon, We Didn't Start the Fire. And if you ever have listened to that song, the chorus goes, we didn't start the fire. It was always burning since the world's been turning. We didn't start the fire. Though we didn't light it, we tried to fight it.
Sin has been active since Genesis 3. And God has called us to fight it since Genesis 3. So let us fight it with love and compassion and mercy and grace to be God's people in a broken world. Let us pray. Father God, we need you. Help us to seek you. Help us to call upon you. Change our hearts, O God, the sin that is in their midst. The hatred, the adultery, the lust, whatever is in the midst of it. O Father God, let us be your people. Let us be the St. Patrick's. Let us be the Martin Luther King's. Let us be people who know you and love you and work out our salvation in this world. That we might stand alongside the God of justice and be a just people. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.